You're listening to SermonCast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. We're going to continue with this unfathomable sermon series. Everybody say unfathomable. It's one of my favorite words to mess up. And um, the point of this is just exploring the attributes of God. Um, It's been shifting Again, my heart for the Lord is we just, uh, I tell you, it sounds simplistic, but the more we just stop and focus on the God of heaven and who he is instead of what we're not, things just change. Things just break. I mean, that's really the point of this whole thing is to get our eyes off of ourselves, see Jesus for who he is, see the Lord in all of his holiness, his righteousness, his love, his grace, and then allow that to change me in a way that changes my life. That's, that's how this works. It's not about trying. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about him. And I'm just going to recap a little bit of this series. And here's a, a statement that, that uh, we've said before, but it, just throw it up there. Uh, we make horrible gods. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? We make horrible gods. And so if you had to place yourself in God's position and uh, you were the sovereign one over all the earth, and you made all the decisions, what would things look like? I wouldn't be here this morning. I'm like, I get you, right? Uh, We make horrible gods. And most of us will say, well, I'm not trying to compete with God. I'm a follower of God. The problem with that statement is you could say whatever you want with your mouth, but in our lives, our lives can convey at times something different than that. What do I mean by that? Well, when we try to take uh, the things of the I am and start to go, well, uh, he didn't really mean that. Surely he's not that kind of God. Surely this is what he means. I mean, this is what I feel about love and compassion. Or if you don't take the Lord's sovereign advice over what he says in his word about relationships and people and, and our money and our lives and our children, what happens is you're not purposely saying, ha, I'm God. But what you're doing is with your reflections, you are saying, I can do this better than God. And in the end, you are competing with God. By the way, that's not a race you can win, right? You are competing with God for the final say in life. And you don't, you're not purposely trying to kick against them, but what you're doing is you're exactly doing that. You're kicking against them. Everybody tracking what I'm saying? How many of you would agree we make horrible gods? Amen. Some of you are just learning that lesson right now. Um, but and so our posture is, okay, I'm not God, he's God, and that's why we're doing this whole series is that we look into the face of Jesus, learn who he is, what his heart is, and we would live our lives in lieu of that, in the shadow of that, instead of trying to grapple with him for what he, what he, um, what he wants. And so as we've talked again, just to recap, um, the doorway for real life change for us isn't you trying harder, isn't you being better. The doorway for life change is seeing God, giving your life in devotion to knowing him, his characteristics, his attributes. By the way, he's an unfathomable God. The beautiful thing is that for us, for followers of Jesus, the world cannot see him and know him. The scriptures say that. They butt against him. The enemy is concealing the eyes of the lost to not be able to see him. But we as believers, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually know and start to learn not the complete thing of uh, the whole entirety of God, but we can learn him and know him intimately, and it changes our lives. What I'm, t- what I'm telling you is you need a greater grasp through the Spirit of God of who God is, and then through that same Holy Spirit, a reality check on who you are and who you're not, and then transfer that over to your identity becoming I am his, not just I am me, that goes to church, and it changes your life that way. We need more him, right? We need more him. Everybody say more him. Okay. So we know in places like Jeremiah 29, 13, uh, just, just throwing this out there again, and various other places I could have used, but you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so I hear that and I go, woo! And so God can be found, amen? We can, through his spirit, we can know him. We can find him. We can get a greater revelation with him. The problem with this is that it's one of those kind of if statements. Do we seek him? When was the last time you literally went to your word, you prayed, uh, went and, and sat under somebody's teaching about him to know him more and to seek his face, right? To seek his 
reality of who he is. And so um, we get to know the unfathomable God, and we have to be careful with what we know, what we've been taught, and how we feel, right? It's going to say that over and over and over again. We live in an age where people are swept up with compassion that's from God, but their compassion overruns the reality and the truths of God in Jesus' name. But then it, and once you do it without him, his way, it becomes backwards. It actually becomes wicked. And so we want to know who he is and what he has done. And so um, that's why we're looking at these attributes uh, attributes, just to put this back up there, since it's been a few weeks, what is an attribute? Thank you. What God has revealed about himself. And so over the last few weeks, I want to ask you if you remember what we talked about. But the first one was that God is everlasting, right? He's everlasting. He has no beginning, no end. Uh, the week after that, we talked about he is unchanging. What a reality check it is to have an unchanging God in the face of everything changing. And last time we were here, we talked about him being Good. Everybody say good. Today, we're going to talk about one which I am uh, <laughs> twofold. I am extremely excited to talk about, and I am very humbled because I am not worthy to handle this topic like any other topic in the scriptures. But out of all the attributes of God, if I was going to put my hone on a how I should prioritize things first, this one is, to me, the top one. And this one, learning this, we're going to talk about God being sovereign today. Uh, I love sovereign. Uh, if you're a reformer, I think all you have to do is say sovereign in the gospel like 60 times in a sermon, and you've checked the box and you've made it. Amen? I know it's slow and we were out for a week, but we'll get there. Okay, um, but we're talking about sovereignty of God. This is a big one. This one has changed my walk with Jesus almost more than any other thing that I've come to understand about him along with his love because all the love and the grace and the mercy are all combined in this place first, the sovereignty of God. And so you hear that phrase, what does sovereignty mean? Got some definitions. I even went to Webster's because it's just like reading scripture, right? Webster says, supreme power it describes freedom from an external control or other controlling influences, okay? Uh, Easton's Bible Dictionary says, God's absolute right to do all things according to his own good and pleasure. My homie, A.W. Pink, uh, has this kind of like this, this sentence that he goes with. The sovereignty of God may be defined as the exercise of his supremacy, and so, by the way, is anything above him? No. Being infinitely elevated above the highest creature, he is the most high, Lord of heaven and earth, subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. None can thwart him. None can hinder him. So when we think about that today, um, in the reality of what we say versus what we believe, um, God is sovereign. He is supreme over all things. God is in the middle of all things. God is the creator of all creation. He has every day of our lives numbered. He is over everything, and I mean everything. Now, there's modern movements of theology where, you know, God is growing into his supremacy and his sovereignty, and what we call that in the Bible study world, that's just stupid. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is supreme. He's unchanging. He's always been sovereign. He always will be sovereign. He'll be over everything. And for us, this is just a little tidbit in what we're going to talk about. We have to like baptize our heart into that and our minds because when we can understand that the supremacy of God is over everything, the sovereignty of God, he is far above and in control. Name one thing on the face of the earth that is out of control for God today. The answer is whatever comes out of your mouth doesn't matter. The only answer biblically is nothing. Nothing is out of control. Even the broken things. And we're going to talk about that. But once we learn that, it does things. It increases my faith. It increases my heart. It, 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 it helps me uh, chillax a little bit, if I could say that like you young, cool, trendy kids like I am, right? Uh, chill out. Uh, take a chill pill, as we used to say in the 90s, right? Um, it helps you chill out because if God is supreme, God is sovereign, then I am not. 
I don't have to figure this out. I don't have to make all the right decisions and choices. My place rolls within his sovereignty. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. And so today we're going to just walk through what it is to live under the sovereignty of God. And I promise you, if this is not a subject that you have allowed to penetrate your heart, it will change your life. Now, the thing about the sovereignty of God is it is probably one of the most important doctrines, again, if I could talk about it, but it's also one of the most contested doctrines because some people in humanity, especially in the world, can not fathom a, a being, a God who is in control of all things as they look all over the earth and see brokenness. Isn't that people's biggest beef? Well, if God's so good, the answer is actually so simple in those places. But if you're, not, <laughs> if you're not under the influence, I will say, of the Holy Spirit and get the revelation of what God is doing and who he is in his sovereignty, you'll never be able to have peace with whatever answer you get in that place. Amen? So we're just going to talk biblically. We're just going to go through some points of what the scriptures say about God's sovereignty. And then we're going to talk about some uh, interesting things at the end. You ready? Yeah. I, I can't move on till my yeah meter Maria, you got to say, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. We're a call and response church. This isn't uh, caskets to uh, funeral joiners. Okay. Uh, so here's the first thing the scriptures say, and none of these are really in order, but um, just some things that I found just on my heart. Number one, God is free to do all he wills, anything and everything. There are no confines on him. Look at the scriptures, Isaiah 46.10 declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Notice he doesn't say if everything goes right, if I play this right, he just says, I'm going to accomplish all my purpose. Daniel 4, 35, all uh, the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, it doesn't mean that people don't. <laughs> it just means the validity of that. Where God, how dare you? Like, you don't understand. He can do whatever he wants. And then the next one, as we walk forward, we're just going to roll through some of these. God is able to do whatever he wants. Not only is he free to do whatever he wants, God is able. There's no shortcoming in doing what he wants. He wants to, he wants to take out a nation. He can do that. He wants to build quasars, right? Stars, moonbeams, whatever you people are into these days. God can do it in a second. He did it. When you think about the cosmos and how God created all things, imagine in a day creating the heavens and the earths, right? Like he can and he is he is able to do those things. Uh, Jesus' words, uh, 1926 in Matthew, Jesus looked at them and said, "What man? Uh, with man, this is impossible, but with God's all things, with God, woo, almost went plural in my deity there, sorry. With God, all things are possible. What is impossible with God? Yeah, that's not just a saying for your coffee cup. There's nothing that God can't do. Job 42.2, by the way, Job should just, uh, <laughs> I encourage all like word of faith and, and people and that's just to go and study the book of Job and just see the reality of what Job was doing, what kind of man he was, where the enemy was, where God was, what God allowed to happen, how God worked through the process, how God redeemed him. And tell me you can hold on to your everything's uh, uh, Gucci Gucci uh, all the time. And that means God is good. I'm so sorry. Anyway. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Here's another one I just want you to have in your heart. God cannot be defeated or outdone. 1 Samuel 2.10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Ecclesiastes 7.13, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Nobody can undone something God has done. Now listen to me, not even you. You cannot undo something God has done. Well, you know, he, you know I, I screwed this up and I did this. <laughs> There's a sovereign level of things that you can't touch. Now, you can mess things up for you, but his sovereignty is even in the middle of that. Amen. You are not thwarting his plans. 
Let me just tell you that. God's not like, oh, no. Oh, Noah did this thing. We should have taken a left at Albuquerque. Now we're going to have to change the whole plan, right? He's just sovereign. How many of you are old enough to understand what that means? Bugs Bunny? Okay. So sorry. Um, that's that Canadian air got to me while I was gone, right? Um, <laughs> hey, listen, no oppressive governments, no individual that hates his church. Uh, I, I don't care if, uh, if 25 Christian artists like completely walk away from their faith and, faith and find that they have some deeper revelation that the real, that God's not real, garbage. You cannot deconstruct the king of heaven. Just your understanding. He can't be thwarted. Amen? By the way, this is why we live by truths. Like if God is for us, who can be against us? Like you should take that into your heart and say, oh, wait, <laughs> nobody, nobody, no government, no person, no man, nor woman, no Satanist, no angry Baptist, whatever it is, no one can thwart the plans of God. I love Baptists, by the way. Here's another one. He's a sovereign king. Everybody say sovereign king. Yeah, he reigns, right? Like Jeremiah. So the sovereignty of a king and his reign is based over all the things and people he controls, right? That's in his thing. So we have, new, we have a new king for the first time in our, our generation. None of us are old enough to ever remember what it was like not to have a queen, right? Like we don't, right? We're the, we're the, angry, uh, we're the angry Americans that beat them up. But you know what I'm saying? There's a new king. His reign, his reign only encompasses the areas upon what he has been given, what he has taken, that he rules. And so when we talk about God and we talk about God's kingship, he is a sovereign king over everything. Jeremiah 10, 7 said, uh, Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Revelation 19.6, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. This is in that heavenly, uh, uh, just picture in Revelation, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Listen, there has never been a king or a leader in this world and to our understanding that even comes close to him and what he's sovereign over. Listen, Hitler Hitler, responsible for like 6 million Jews dying and more, right? Where's Hitler today? He's nothing, right? He's nothing. He's in a history book. He caused lots of pain and, 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 and broken dominion of, the, of, of things of earth. But listen, you could go through every leader ever that existed on the face of the earth and kings that were wicked. Uh, what, about, um, uh, what about Stalin? Like we always talk about Hitler. You know, like, oh, Hitler killed like 6 million plus people. Stalin was responsible for the death of like 30 to 40 million people in his reign in Russia. He's nothing. Chairman Mao, for those of you who know, I'm just going, I'm just beating up on all these communists, right, America? That's not what I'm trying to do. But Chairman Mao was responsible for 50 to 60 million deaths in the, in the country of China. Horrible leader. Brought the revolution and brought communism to China. Starved his people to death. Horrible king. Had much power. Where is he now? Some of you don't even, some, some, they don't even put some of the stuff in textbooks anymore. We don't know who he is. Rome, greatest military might on the face of the earth. Where are they? I get to go to Rome next month for a leader meeting for Antioch. Yeah, poor me. I'm going to walk around and go, Caesar! Wherefore art thou, Caesar? I mix Shakespeare and Caesar in the one. You're welcome. Let's just tell broad my artistic development has gone. Don't be jealous of my awesomeness. Uh, by the way, um, I don't care what your ideas and politics, but guess what? Biden, Biden will be a breath. President Trump will be a breath. President Kennedy will be a breath. Abraham Lincoln will be a breath. Leaders in Venezuela and all over the world, wicked leaders, Putin will be a breath of nothing. He will be gone because none of them in their sovereignty even come close to the God of heaven. He's over them. God never looked down and went, uh-oh, what am I going to do with that bad guy, Right? And by the way, they all get what they deserve. Amen? Daniel 2.21, he changes times and seasons. Listen, 
He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. By the way, uh, for those of us who have been guilty over the last few years of getting way too political and way too worked up with who was in in the White House or not, you need to go back and just study and process over the sovereignty of God. I know it's important that we vote, we vote our convictions, all of those things, but do you think for a minute God of heaven was sitting there on election night going, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, somebody stole the election. No, it it didn't happen that way. God knew, and by the way, God appoints leaders. Does that just mean that God appoints good leaders? No. There's no one in power today on the face of the earth that's not there because God allowed them to be there. And then you have to start going, oh, that kind of shakes up my paradigm a little bit. And we're going to talk about that. He's sovereign over all of creation. Uh, Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. He's sovereign over human life. Luke 1, 51 through 53, in a sustaining way. He has shown strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. He's, he's sovereign over creation. Listen, Psalms 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Uh, that's a common verse, right? But listen, uh, who, who in here uh, has outed themselves already that they're pregnant? Like who's literally pregnant right at the moment? Some of you, maybe you're going to say, nobody knows. Josh is pregnant. Amen. Oh, yeah, uh, his, so Chloe, don't tell anybody, is pregnant. So let's Not only is that an amazing miracle and why we value life, but literally right now, wherever Chloe is, the sovereign God of heaven is knitting together in her womb this life. All the days of this little one's life are in his books. Now, he's so sovereign, even in the womb, he he is working a hundred years of whatever his will is for this little one. Amen? Um, yeah. I, didn't, I was trying to see if I can out anybody that's pregnant. Some of you that shouldn't be pregnant, don't start with me today. All right? Okay. All right. Praise God. Uh, he's sovereign over this. Here's, here's another thing that we need to get in. He's sovereign over the minute. That doesn't say minute. I looked it up like 12 times. Minute details of life. Surely, does everybody know how to spell that word? That's how you spell it, right? Amen. Okay. I spelled it wrong the first time, and I thought y'all would laugh at me. But he's sovereign over them. Here's what I hear a lot. Well, God's so big, and God just does his thing, and, you know, who am I? God doesn't know me. He doesn't see me. That is just absolutely garbage, right? Like, the Lord is over the little and big things. He's sovereign over all. He can't, he's sovereign over the, the, the dust mites that are in the carpet, right? Like, he created them, not that there are any, right? He's sovereign over, over, over people, but he's sovereign over all of his creation. And so, Matthew 10, 29 through 30 says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Listen, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Listen, he's big sovereign because he's sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over the moon and the stars. He's sovereign over the nations. And he's sovereign over the hairs of your head. There's no topic that he's not intimately involved in and sovereign over. Amen? By the way, that should give you great security. Some of you have had feeling for your whole life, fighting significance or got daddy love issues or mama love issues. I'm telling you right now, the sovereign God of heaven not only created you, knitted you in sovereignty in your mama's womb, but he knows every hair on your head. He knows every day of your life. He loves you with a sovereign love that we cannot even begin to understand. It should give you value if you're his. Amen? Here's another fun one. Only about 27 more. Don't worry about it. He is sovereign over the salvation of every single person. Uh Uh-oh, we about to throw down. Um, Ephesians 1, 14, 4 through 11, excuse me. Uh, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Listen, in him we have, been, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now listen, if you are saved, if you belong to the Lord, guess who made that decision? Him and him alone. Now, this is where we get into a thought theology debate, and then there's like two areas of focus, right? One, if you're a Reformed theology, like Jesus, right? If you have a, I'm just joking, if you have a Reformed theology, just kidding, Reformed theology, kind of, Reformed theology over here says, essentially, I'm going to dumb this down just because it's how my brain works. Reformed theology says we're all predestined. There are people that will be with the Lord, and there will be people that will not be with the Lord, and he chose that. We just read it. It's over and over again. We get that, right? And so, and then there's another uh, train of thought, which is called, I'm asking, Armenianism. I knew the answer, Randy. Armenians say everybody is lost, but everybody has the opportunity and to come to know Jesus. And then there's this whole uh, long-term range of can you lose your salvation versus uh, no, you can't lose your salvation. And I, I'm just going to tell you, um, this is what it comes down to. Whether by, by the way, you have free reign. This is how I love to deal with uh, predestination, or if not, if you're if you're if you're on either side of the coin, I think they all should. F- pan out either way in your life, whether all the same. If you love Jesus, if you believe everybody's predestined, you live your life and share the gospel to go find the ones that he is predestined. And if you believe scripturally that everybody has an opportunity and it's all just a, a opportunity for God to work in their hearts of every single person on the face of the earth, it doesn't change. You live the same way. Right? I'm not going to separate myself because of that theology with other people. If you don't believe that everybody's predestined, I don't know, read your Bible again. Okay, right? If you believe that you can lose your salvation, okay, read the Bible. But here's the deal. It's all about Jesus. We love people the same. We do things the same. It shouldn't change us. Matter of fact, if anybody in those two groupings, our tribe, the, the, the Reformed, tend to look at the sovereignty of God and use it for an example of an opportunity to be lazy, well, I don't really have to do anything if God's sovereign over all things. That is not the heart and will of God. Amen? Send all your emails to Pastor Randy. R. Williams at antiochwichita.org. Amen? Uh, we're going <laughs> to talk about more of this. Listen, here's another one. He is sovereign over our suffering. Let's say this with me. He's sovereign over my suffering. What does that mean? Some of us need to get this because in, a, in, in seasons of brokenness, we feel abandoned by God when you have to know literally that you can't be abandoned by God. Like God is sovereign in our suffering and he does something. Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. We suffer because he suffered. It's just a sovereign opportunity to suffer like our king. Romans 8, 28, verse we use here a lot. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, listen, God will use the broken things that are birthed out of our free will and align it with his sovereign will for our good. There is not one thing that you have ever suffered through that God has not been with you in. For believers, like in Romans 8, 28, he uses all things. Literally, in his sovereignty, he will use every single broken thing in your life for your good. Everything. 
And I'm coming from a man who's lost babies and family and has been busted and living in whorehouses when I was a kid. Like literally, he has used every single opportunity that I have wept in to use for my good and for his glory. Like he's sovereign over the brokenness. And many of us will go, oh, brokenness is a sign of, of not having a good God. That's completely the opposite. So many believers are like, well, God called me to this thing. I did it and it was hard. That's not a lack of God's grace and sovereignty. That's you being signed up to learn how to be beat on and suffer and deal with things just like Jesus. It's actually a blessing because he's sovereign over it. Right now in the middle of Ukraine, the sovereign God of heaven is working out the war and the hatred in the head of someone like Putin, and he is using it for his glory. You watch a movement of God come out of that thing. You watch the Ukrainian church be fired up like never before. And what the enemy meant for destruction and death, God is saying, hey, bring it, baby. And by the way, he can't even do it. We'll talk about this in a minute. He can't even do it without God's permission. Amen? Next one. He is, for, uh, for a reason, I'm so smart. Satan is under the sovereignty of God. Please go read and study Job. Just go read and study Job with an open heart and an open mind and just see, like, we are so fearful of the devil. Oh, the devil made me punch my mama in the mouth, and I don't know whatever that is. Uh, John 12, 31, we do this, now the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Satan loses. Satan's losing right now, right? And if you look at the book of Job and you, and you walk through the book of Job, it blows my mind because what's happening God's just chilling like God chills, right? I don't know what that looks like. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, the devil comes into the room, and literally you see it. The, the devil appears, and the devil says, um, and God says, hey, have you, have you taken into account my servant Job? He's a good man. Man, he's a faithful man. And the devil says what? <laughs> the devil says, yeah, he's just faithful because you've never tested him. You protect him. And then God said, amen, and moved on. And then God said, Oh, yeah? Test him. Don't raise your hand and take his life. Let's see what happens. You have to do something with that theology. God allowed him to be sifted. Now, what happens in the end? He gets, Job gets, loses his family. You know, we find out his wife's a Karen, right? Why don't you just die? Who's got to die? I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, he's actually a good dude. I'm not that, I'm nothing against you wives that are Karens, okay? But that there's none in here, literally. I mean, anybody with the name Karen? Yeah, we'll have to take that one off the video, Jerry. <laughs> Nobody tell Jen about that one. Uh, but Job loses children. Job loses servants and animals and houses. And he gets some really good advice from his friends right in the middle of the turmoil. And in the end, he has this recompassing, this relationship, this reformation, this rebuilding, this redemption that comes from God. And God speaks to him. Job learns the greatness of God in a way that he never would have before. And the Lord uh, rehashes and reinstitutes. Re re what am I trying to say? Just restores him to greater than he was before. But Job left that place in deeper relationship with God. And not only that, we still read the story today to see the goodness of God. The, the devil lost that bet, if you would say it, right? And God's name is, is proclaimed. Listen, you have to do something with that. God allows us. And as we see, the devil can't even do something to us unless God says he can't. Now think about that for a minute. That's heavy. This is where we get into the struggle with sovereignty in this topic, uh, because we have a Sunday school edition of the Lord, and you have to know that the Lord is operating on such a different level than us that what we see is finite and broken and holistically drowning. The Lord does not. You understand what I'm saying? And so we're going to walk through a little bit about what to do with those kind of things. And so the first one is, here's where we start to struggle. This is where humanity starts to struggle with sovereignty. Number one is free will, right? And so what is free will? Yeah, I used to know free will. Who's that guy down on the corner, right? No, that was the whale, right? No, free willy. That was something. 
It's a bad week. Woo! What is free will? Say it louder. The ability to choose for yourself. Okay? And so have you ever thought about for a minute, well, and this is a big wrestle again theologically, I just think it's pretty simple for us though, is, is there is the sovereignty of God, he's over and controls all things, uh, uh, and, and, and then there's our free will. Do we have free will? Or are we puppets? We have free will. Okay, all right, that's good. I'll call you on that. Okay, so listen, free will is an area of contention but, but let me see, there is a tension in our understanding, but there's really no conflict. A.W. Tozer paints the story of like free will and sovereignty like this. Tozer, by the way, a man named after my dog. We have a dog named Tozer, okay? Uh, but Tozer says, imagine, this is how you talk about the sovereignty of God. Imagine that you catch a boat in, um, in New York. We'll say it's the Queen Mary. And on that boat, you take the boat from New York to um, to, to London, and or somewhere there close by the water in England, okay? So you're on this boat. In the middle of the boat, you have your choice of what you're going to do. So you can go get, you know, go suntan, right? You can go stuff your face on the seven buffets a day, right? You have will to roam the deck of the boat and do the things that your heart desires and do. But here's the other thing is you can't stop the sovereign destination of where the boat is going, See what I'm saying? Like the boat is moving. The boat has a destination. You don't have any control over that, but you control what you are doing with yourself in the midst of the boat. Is that registering with anybody? So this is what I'm saying. Free will exists within the confines of the sovereignty of God. Let me talk about this. There is the borders, if you will, of the sovereignty of God. There are things that aren't changing, and in the middle of it, um, there is this amazing, mind-blowing opportunity. Why would God give us free will? I don't understand. Like, sometimes I'm like, God, just make me do it, right? That's how become, I become really faithful, and I'm a really great workout guy. I'm like Matt. I'm like Matt Magnuson in my, my um, abilities to work out and eat right when God makes me. Amen? Like, sometimes I look at humanity, I'm like, God, just make us. In the end, the problem is sovereignty does not signify that he is a puppet master. God's not a puppet master. Why? Because we, we, we can't glorify. I just wrote this down. You can't be glorified and loved by robots and puppets. Do you understand what I'm saying? God gave Adam and Eve free will in the garden. God gave you and me free will in the midst of this because our response to God is love language, right? God doesn't force anybody to do the right thing, to choose, uh, to choose the right things to come out of your mouth. He doesn't force us. Why? Because when we respond his way, it is a reaction of love and glorification to the God of heaven versus us just being a puppet. Real people who follow Jesus and honor and glorify him with their mouths and their words, that's love language. That is obedience that equals love. Free will isn't about outcomes. It's about love and glorification in the kingdom. So what do I mean? So free will is about love. When we obey and walk in obedience, we are loving God back. A love response. You understand? When you say no to the things of the world and you say yes, you're not forced. It's your own free will in the midst of the sovereignty of God. Guess what? That's a love reaction to the king of heaven. When we obey, we are showing love to the God of heaven. We don't obey to get his love. We do it because we got it. His love is sovereign. God's love is sovereign. You can't change his love. You can't stop his love. But you can. You have the free will of how you respond to it. Do you understand? You're not a puppet. God has created this system so we would respond and worship and love to him. The next part is, um, when I talk about love, the next one is glorification. If you look at the scriptures, we weren't created to just have fellowship with God because God was bored and lonely. We were created to glorify him. How can anything glorify something it was programmed to do? That's just robotic. God doesn't force you to glorify him. He doesn't force you to worship. He doesn't force you to love people like he wants you to love people. We glorify him when we choose to do it in our free will because the sovereign heart of God has given us the power to do that. It's worship. Everybody understand what I'm saying? 
and kingdom come. Listen, loving one another is free will, but it brings kingdom come when you do. God doesn't force us to be the correct, proper church. God knows. I wish he would have a few times. Help us make sure nobody falls under the cracks and make sure nobody's going without. And, and But when we engage that as a church and we look at one another and we cover each other's deficits and the brokenness, he doesn't force us to, but it brings kingdom come to the house when we do it of our own free will. You understand what I'm saying? He doesn't force you to love your spouse. Can you imagine that? You only love me because you have to. Well, Jen, I've had that conversation a bunch of times. Amen? Some of you are laughing, looking at your spouse. That's great. Not, not the correct response to say to your spouse, usually. Uh, listen, you glorify God when you love your spouse. You love your children. By the way, do you love your children because they're your children or because of who they are? Well, I got to love you. You came out of the birthing canal of your mama. Right? Uh, people will say that. I'm a parent, so I have to love. Imagine what kind of love statement that is to your child. I love you because I have to. I love you because uh, you got put in my care. And some, some of us might have heard that. That is not the father heart of God. The father heart of God is I love you because I love you. Because you're, you're mine and because, because I love your attributes. I love the things about you. Like, I love you. We talk about salvation, just some of these things. Um, I believe salvation is absolutely a sovereign topic. How I respond is my free will. Days I have on earth, the scripture says, every one of my days on earth are counted for. They're in his book. That is sovereign. The second part is what do I do with them? Free will. Spiritual gifts, when we read the scriptures, who gives spiritual gifts? The Lord, the Holy Spirit decides who and what we get, right? We all get one, but, but, but listen, um, what I do with them is free will. I can, I can pursue the gifts like Paul said, he demands and commands that we pursue all the gifts, or I can not. It's free will. The gospel is a sovereign narrative, what do I mean by that? The gospel is unchanging. The gospel is sovereign. It is the, is the glory of God. If I share it with people, it's free will. Do you understand the tension? We are in the midst of the sovereignty of God, the big Queen Mary, and maybe that's a horrible, horrible uh, personification of that, and you just go talk to Tozer. But the point is, we exist in the sovereign route of God and his kingdom, but he gives us opportunities to love him, glorify him, and bring kingdom come in the middle of it. Look at all through the scriptures. Moses. Was Moses responsible for removing and freeing God's people out of Egypt? Was he or was he not? No. The sovereign God of heaven chose him. Moses had an opportunity to respond. Do you ever think that if, if Moses, and I can just look in hindsight and judge him because I can't, uh, but Moses, when he's having that conversation with God, when he's like, I don't, me don't speak well, <laughs> right? Like he's afraid and he's like, I don't, me don't do good. If we would understand sovereignty, if Moses would have been baptized in it, just like we are, God is calling you, you're, he was never called to do that thing. That freedom for his people was an only God thing. Moses' response was, that's why he's in the hall of faith. We see in Hebrews 11, he did it through faith. He responded in his free will. Noah, was Noah's job to save everybody on the face of the earth that was good? Or was Noah, yeah, right, Noah? Or was Noah's job to simply build a boat? Who rescued those handful of people, God or Noah? God. Noah just had to respond. In history, is there, is there any way that Noah could have said no? Do we see people telling Jesus or the Lord no in the scriptures? Yeah, rich young rulers. I mean, we see it all the time. We see Jonah being a knucklehead, right? God still works his crafty little sovereignty around the life of Jonah. Amen. Same with David. So <laughs> free will exists within the confines of God's sovereignty. Here's another thing that people really battle with. And that's what he causes versus what he allows. You understand what I'm saying? I just wanted to tackle these real easy conversations to talk about. Like people battle with what God allows with what he causes. And so we have to look at this. So number one, if God is good and sovereign, and we talk about this, we're going to go a little more in depth. Why 
do horrible things happen? Right? And uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you've thought about that, but I've had the same question. And some of us, it's real personal. Like, why, why did you allow my mama to die early? Why did you allow that person to abuse me? Why did you, why did you do that to me? Why didn't you stop that? Listen, there's, there's an answer. There's an answer. We start with, as we always do, did... God creates sin and death. No, we did. Why? In the garden, he gives Adam and Eve a choice. Listen, you have amazing fellowship with me for eternity. You have all this to eat. You're naked and you don't even know it. Hoorah. Just listen, this is where he brings it. And people are like, well, why did he do that? Why didn't... It goes back to the conversation, robots and puppets. God desired for Adam and Eve to love him in response to everything that they had been given. And he says, just one thing. Can you imagine? One thing. Don't do it. Stay away from that and all of this will be yours forever. And then <laughs> Adam and Eve had a choice. We all know it was Eve's fault, but we have to say both of them. But Adam and Eve had a choice. Either I trust in the sovereign I am or I start listening to this stupid serpent that is talking to my inner pride and God doesn't force them to respond. They respond in the human way and they bring about, from that moment on, every cancer, every disease, every war, every heartbreak spawned in that moment. The beautiful thing about this is that you need to understand. It's from that moment, God in his sovereign will has been weaving the redemption of man. Listen, God didn't just say, hey, we got to start over. Let's clean the slate, right? Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to make you a robot. He doesn't do that. But because he loved, he told them, you will surely die. And Adam and Eve surely died, right? But it wasn't an eternal thing. God was weaving this thing out of his people because he loved them. He didn't stop the brokenness from happening. He entered into redemption. Why? Because he's pure justice, they sinned and he couldn't have anything to do with it. The only answer was that comes in Genesis 3.15 that's foretold throughout the Old Testament all the way up until the death and birth and burial resurrection of Jesus. He's the only freedom. The brokenness hasn't stopped because we're living in the consequences of the choices of men. The goodness of God is that he's in the middle of it bringing redemption and weaving glory in every single situation. I'll say amen to that an enormous truth that we have to get our head around, especially those of us with deep hurt, is God in his redeeming sovereign self is working on a level and on a plane that we do not understand. God's point and, and cause, if I could just say so, is the glorification of his name and the redemption of his creation. And so when God does that, it is in an eternal sense. It's not, you and I look at momentary things. This is my life. This is my marriage. This is my children. This is my school. All of those kind of things. We see things that are right in front of our nose. The Lord is working a eternal purposes all over the face of the earth. And listen, there are things that have to happen in our daily lives that matter in the eternal glorification of God that must happen to break the things of our humanity. Like some things only happen in the midst of, of brokenness. That's not the lack of sovereignty of God over a situation. That's God orchestrating your life and glory for his purposes and your good. Amen? What do I mean? <laughs> Think about Jonah. Let's talk, can we talk about Jonah? Jonah was a prophet. Hey, veggie tales, people. Looking, listen, Jonah was a good man. Jonah was uh, one of the kings, excuse me, one of the Lord's dudes. He was, he was, he was um, a pretty mighty guy. God says, hey, go to Nineveh and tell them to repent. Jonah says, yes, Lord. Jonah says, uh-uh. Listen, this is where you have to start reading between, between the fullness of the scriptures. Listen, he got on a boat, and what happened on the boat? What's the first thing that happened before the fish? A storm came. The scriptures doesn't say a storm was there and God happened to use it. It says God brought the storm. 
God brought the storm. Right after that, Jonah repents and everything gets better. No, he doesn't. A big fish comes, and what happens? Yeah, Moby Dick wasn't just swimming around, and God's like, oh, look, I'll use Moby Dick. That fish was created for one purpose. That purpose was God sent the fish, the whale, whatever you call it, to consume Jonah in his belly. God allowed it. God sent it. Then what happens? He gets spit out, right? And then Jonah, with a big free heart, goes to Nineveh, and he's like, hey, I love you guys. Repent or else. Noah walks in. Excuse me. Jonah walks in there like a snot. Hey, God says you better repent or else you're all going to die. That's my summation. And what happens? They repent. They repent. They don't even know him. They just repent. And all of a sudden, what does Jonah do? Jonah goes to sit on a hill and hopefully watch them burn. And what does God do? God literally, you see this? Read the story. God puts a tree, grows a tree up in a day to give him shade. Oh, that's sweet. And that night, he puts a worm with the tree that eats it and devours it, so he loses the shade. Why? What Jonah saw for, oh, ships, seas, whale guts, God was weaving a bigger narrative than Jonah could see. God was running after the fullness of the heart of Jonah. And Jonah had to go through, and we don't even know how he responds after this, right? Exodus, what does the Lord say to to Moses or say to Pharaoh? What does he do? The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why? God's building a bigger narrative, right? If we go through, um, I want you to listen to this. This is lengthy, and I, I, I thought about not putting, but I want you to hear this. By the way, Romans 9 uh, has rocked my world uh, since I became uh, a believer. Well, listen. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up. Listen, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whoever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills. Listen, verse 19. So you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will will what what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and the another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patient vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved, and in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. Do you you get the fullness of what's going on here? Like you have to understand, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why? Because God was weaving a bigger narrative. When the people of God were let go, it was because of God's glorious power and hands and riches. It wasn't to be smitey smiterton because he's a jerk, but does God place people throughout the ages that he uses? What, what will you say about a Judas? What do we say? Like you have to come to reality of the fullness of these things that God says, I'm going to place whoever and whatever and wherever I can for the glorification of my name to show the living grace, the power of Jesus in the kingdom. 
By the way, you're, I, I thought about this the other day. If, if, you, if we were like one of the disciples, like obviously we're so disciple-like, right? And we're walking around, what would happen in our humanity if we learned early on, like Gabriel popped out of heaven, he's like, hey, Rob, that Judas guy, he's the one that's going to betray Jesus, just giving you a heads up. What if that came early? What would I have done? What would I have done? Yeah, I would take him out, Right? I would take that brother out and he's going to kill my Jesus. He's going to take this, the Messiah that I've been waiting for forever. And in the end, that would have been the wrong choice because the Lord sent Jesus to give up his life. And in humanity, all we would have seen was, oh my goodness, Jesus is going to die. We have to take this guy out in the presence. Jonah, I mean, excuse me, Judas was put there. He was put there. You got to do something with that. I don't know if you've ever read the death of Lazarus. In John 11, 12, how many of you have ever read that? Listen, um, Mary, Martha, his sisters, right? They go to Jesus and they tell him, listen, my brother is dying. He's going to die. And if you don't come right away, uh, he's going to perish. And what does Jesus do? Jesus throws on his cross trainers and he runs over to, to Lazarus and, bring, and make sure he doesn't die. No, he allows him to die. Why? John 11, 1 through 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. What did Jesus say? Lazarus, what happens to him? He dies. Wait a minute. Jesus said it just doesn't lead to death. Maybe, maybe Jesus was wrong. What happens? Jesus goes. Jesus weeps at the tomb. And what does he say? Lazarus, come out of that. Come out of that grave. Why? He, he just said it. It doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Listen, some of us see things temporal, and we're like, we're dying. And the Lord is like, uh-uh. This isn't about death. This is about the glorification of my name. This doesn't mean death. This means life. And by the way, if we're talking about cancers, we're talking, well, we're talking about literal bodily things, guess what? What happens when you die? You live <laughs> right? The story in the meantime, that God is moving and narrating in the midst of it and using our free will is the glorification of his name and for his kingdom and for his glory and for love. Amen? So let me ask you this. Does he allow broken things and people to come into our lives? Jerry, you jumped a gun there, dang it. <laughs> you bet your bottom. Think about that for a minute. Um, gosh, this is so heavy. Uh, just our same old story, Jen and I. How did we come to know and love Jesus? We lost a baby. God blessed life in the womb of my beautiful wife. Death came because of the fall, because of the brokenness of man, and the Lord didn't stop it. He allowed that first baby we had in her belly to perish. Why? Because he was writing a bigger narrative. That heart that he had for us as he was pursuing us and he allowed us to go through this horrible thing because he was writing something bigger. For, listen, you are sitting here today because what God did in the womb of my wife and did not do. That is hard to get your mind around, but when you understand that there have been circumstances and people and things in your life that you've had to go through and you are angry with God for allowing that, by, by the way, God doesn't delight when brokenness happens to his children. He hates it. The scriptures are clear. He hears the cries of his children. He will have vengeance and he will have justice. We just don't get to dictate the time frame and the road. Right? The sovereign God is moving in every broken situation. Um, abuse. 
talk about that. I know there are many people in this room who have been physically abused, sexually abused, spiritually abused. It was never God's created intention for you to be treated like that. Never. That sin that happened to you that robbed your youth or your purity or your heart or your sanity, that happened because of the fall of man. And God, who was operating, and I don't understand it, I don't get to understand it, but God is operating on a long distance, eternal life glorification system that I can't see. And so God will allow some of these atrocious things to happen. And I have to, without all question, believe that God is working a narrative for my good. Because Romans 8.28 isn't just for dealing with bad financial decisions. He uses all things for the good of those who love him, who are called by his name. Take my wife as an example. Sexually abused when she was nine. Battled with it. Her entire life of father heart of God and intimacy with the Lord. But God has used that brokenness and pain in such sovereign ways to redeem her, to make her humble, to make her someone who can minister to other women who have gone through the same thing and to heal her heart even in forgiveness. She knows forgiveness now like she never could have learned before. It was an atrocious event, but you know what? It happened because of the fall. God allowed it for the greater good because he's redeeming redemption. There will be justice against the people who hurt you. Believe me, they will have to answer for what they've done. But the only sovereign one who can can make those decisions is the, the real God of justice. And by the way, even though we hate it or not, there's grace and mercy for abusers too. There's a redemption story for them if they would that they would turn. Yes, sometimes he allows it, but he will always redeem it. So just a couple things. We're only here for another 20, 35, 60 minutes. What is our responses to the sovereignty of God? I put some negative responses to the sovereignty of God. Number one, I don't need to try if God is sovereign. Um, I think we just talked about that. That's ridiculous. If God just saves whoever he saves and does whatever he wants, I don't really have to do anything. I can just sit here and start a podcast and annihilate everybody else's theology. Inside joke. In the end... If obedience is about a love response, it's free will in the midst. What I do with my life matters because it's an offering back to the Lord. Amen? Anger and confusion, why bad things happen. I, I, you know, sometimes there are such broken things that happen where you have this particular conversation with somebody and they, and they won't hear. But listen, I'm telling you, this is the answer. This is the answer to the why. He doesn't cause it, but he always redeems it. And the brokenness come from the brokenness of man and our sin. Amen? Here's some correct responses. Pursuit. We need to deeply pursue the sovereign will of God with a humble understanding. Worship. If you don't think for a minute, listen, worship is not a robot response. Uh, Worship shouldn't come from because your worship leader said, hey, worship, everybody stand and lift your arms up, right? Which I like doing that. My wife gets mad at me when I yell at the church. I don't do it as much, but I used to be like, come on, church, let's worship. My wife would be like, "Mm -mm." but in the end, worship is a response to the sovereignty of God. You have free will to sit there and not set your eyes on heaven and worship God for what he's worth. You have the choice. He won't make you do that. But under his sovereignty, how could you not? How could you not worship him? He's so good. And your worship is a love response to his sovereignty. Hope and peace, no matter what the news says this week, guess what? The Lord's in control. No matter who's on the throne on the earth or who's in the White House, who's in in, in the Kremlin, it doesn't matter. The Lord is sovereign. Oh my gosh, what happens to us if there's a civil war in America over all these issues? God's sovereign. We're going we're gonna to make it, and we're going to do whatever he wants us to do in the middle of that. Amen? 
It should increase your faith. <laughs> uh, by the way, sovereignty for me, this is just a little side thing. Uh, sovereignty of God and when it increases my faith, when people want to get in an argument over, over Bible uh, inerrancy and accuracy, uh, I just always like, do you think for a minute, if God is this sovereign, people are like, well, the Bible was screwed up by all these guys between then and now, and they put their own two cents into it. And we have modern day translations, which I can name, which I agree with some of that. <laughs> but overall, I'm not saying anything. But listen, do you not think the sovereign God of heaven who knows the hairs on your head and created quasars and was with Jonah, do you not think that God is able and willing to keep his word pure and accurate? What you're saying is, well, man just messed up what God wanted to communicate. It's not possible. The word is inerrant and true. And the sovereignty thing, you want to argue about dinosaurs? Well, in the Old Testament, there's the Leviathan. and I'm sure there was. You want to argue about how old the earth is? Are you a young earth and a new earth thing? I said, I don't care. I'm a heaven guy. The earth, I, I just want to be with Jesus. That doesn't shape my faith. The sovereign God of heaven has an answer to how old the earth is. And in the end, it doesn't affect me. I'll go fight Ken Ham. No, I won't fight Ken Ham. I won't fight Ken Ham. What I'm saying is people want to get off on these little sidebar issues. Well, I'm not sure I can follow Jesus because of uh, the dinosaur thing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm not trying to mock people, but those are literal conversations I've had. Like, are you kidding me? The sovereign God of heaven. Do you really think God's word isn't pure? It's absolutely. And there's worldly things we can point to to prove it. Like the 20,000 plus manuscripts of the New Testament we have, and it's growing all the time that, are, that all correlate with each other. Dead Sea Scrolls, everything else they found, God's word is true and whole. His sovereignty has that in check. Amen? And it should help with our boldness. If God's sovereign, and God is in charge of what happens to your neighbor, if they go to heaven or they don't, or if he's in charge of the tribe in Africa that you're supposed to go to, listen, we can be bold because we're not the ones going to share ourselves. We are just being obedient in our free will response to live on mission to go talk to my neighbor. If they respond, if they respond, it is in, it's already in God's books. I'm just trying to be faithful. If they don't, it's not on me. My job in the midst of the sovereignty of their salvation and what God has lined out, I just need to be obedient in my free will and do what God asked me to. Why? Because he's worth it. We forgive because he's worth it. We show grace because he's worth it, because he's sovereign. I'll end, I'll end with this little spurgy baby quote. There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation." the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne.